Okay, folks, welcome back to episode 19 of the Only Horror Movie Podcast. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Nick. And I'm Joe. And uh, this is a podcast uh, about horror films, and I am somebody who doesn't know much about horror, and uh, Joe knows much, much more about horror. So this podcast is kind of like, uh, you know, every week he tells me to watch a movie, I go and I watch that movie, and we come back and we talk about it. And uh, I'm learning along the way a lot more about horror and slowly becoming a more of a horror fan. Yeah, and hopefully everybody who listens is getting a deeper appreciation for the genre. Yeah, that's kind a, of our goal. That's a big hope here. We hope that you are uh, slowly enjoying horror more, even if you aren't watching the movies, which we think that you should. But if you're only listening to the podcast and enjoying the plot synopses and all that stuff, that's fine. Yeah, I've had a few friends say that they can't really watch horror movies because they can't handle scary stuff, but that they do enjoy the podcast. So Yeah, that rules. You know, uh, But I, I will say my dad did go and watch Night of the Demons after he listened to our episode on it. Oh, really? Which I thought was a interesting choice of, <laughs> uh, of all the ones that we've done. It, it, uh, he, he really liked that one, huh? He did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was a good episode. I think so, too. Yeah, you know? it's a fun movie. Especially after I listened to the Halloween one, I thought it was a good episode, but we didn't have quite as many uh, jokes and funny comments in that one. No, no, but, uh, uh, you know, we're learning. We're learning yeah, how yeah. to insert jokes and whatnot, and uh, we're also just learning how to do this podcast more succinctly and smoothly and uh, structurally. Yeah, I think we're getting better. I think so, man. I mm-hmm. think so. We appreciate you guys for listening to us. Yeah. And growing with us. And, and growing. Uh, you know, supporting. and Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, so this is episode, we won't talk too much up top here because we, uh, you know, this is a part two yep. of a, of a, of a, so if you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to that and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then you can, you know, I, I'll say, uh, you said happy birthday in the last episode to your father, Randolph. Yep. I'll say happy birthday to my brother, Anthony, whose birthday is on November uh, 10th. Uh, happy birthday to my brother, Anthony. Oh, nice. Happy birthday, Anthony. Yeah. He it was, was good to see to him podcast, last night, but yeah, it was good to, good to see him last night. Yeah. 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 Came out to the show. That was, that was cool. Yeah, it's good, dude. Uh, and boy, at this point, Joe, we are only three days, four, f- something like four or five days away from your uh, wedding on this podcast. Yeah, when this one comes out, I think it'll be the 14th and we're getting married on the 19th. Crazy stuff. Yeah. So after this one, guys, I will be, uh, you know, you'll be listening to podcasts from a married man, which I think, you know. Will probably be mostly the same, but I'll be married. Yeah, it'll be the same exact thing, but uh, you know, maybe you'll have a bit of a more of a twinkle. You know, who knows? Maybe there'll be a glowingness to you. Gonna have a lot more of my wife jokes. Yeah, know, a lot little, more of my wife's. You know, and uh, I'll still be a bachelor and uh, still trying to find love. You know, but yeah, well, maybe we can set up an audition for you. That would be great, man. I think you I know. I really appreciate that. Uh, so, guys, in the last episode, we left off at a moment where. Oyama was in bed with Asami, right? And Asami had just shown her scars to uh, Oyama. Oyama. Yeah, a couple big, gnarly, like, long burn scars on her thigh that she says she got when she was little. Yeah, and it's a little it's a little eerie and ominous, right? Because she's she kind of just slowly started taking off her clothes, and then she just wanted to, to look at her body. And he was confused, but he's like, he's so enamored with this young woman who's half his age and, you know... He, uh, he just wanted to get in bed with her and love her, and he wanted a new wife to make his kid happy, to make him happy, right? 
Yeah. Should we mention that people should, uh, you know, subscribe? and We should say, folks, before we get into this, yes, absolutely. Well, hitting that subscribe button helps us a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, you'll make sure you get all the, the upcoming episodes. And, uh, you know, you can email us at theonlyhorrormoviepod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please, please. You can join the Discord. Remy's on there. I'm on there. We'll get things going. Yeah, start doing some kind of watch parties or something. That's right. We're going to do more stuff in the so, Discord. So be on that Discord if you we're, want to get into that. We're growing, folks. We're getting there. And uh, and uh, and again, we're going to mention Remy Mitchell, one of our newest additions to the uh, Only Horror Movie Podcast team. Uh, she is our researcher and friend, and uh, we're very happy to have her. And you will be hearing more from her at the end of this episode. Yeah, and we have an international team now, which I think is pretty impressive for That's a three-person right. podcast. She's in New Zealand. Yep. She uh, she did mention on Instagram uh, that uh, she she says that I should come out to New Zealand to do the one man show, which I'm not opposed to. If she thinks that we can draw some kind of audience. Oh, yeah. You know, I would totally fly out there and do a show in New Zealand. That would be cool. I would love to go to New Zealand for any reason. Any reason at all. Yeah. Maybe one day we can do a, you know, a, a podcast out there. We could do like a joint podcast stand up one-man show kind of tour yeah yeah that'd be a lot but it'd be cool <laughs> you know i'll bring my band members too yeah yeah it'll be a whole we'll just do a whole festival yeah whole festival of just us yeah what more could people <laughs> the people of new zealand want you peter never... jackson yeah no it's like a white flight of the concords you guys are bored with them by now i'm sure they're old they're old news yeah reese darby a, what's he doing i don't know they need a new generation of people yeah right and it's us so folks so oyama was left in the bed right after he turned over in this weird moment where it was like are they having sex he they toss and turn for a moment and then she's gone she's just gone from the bed we don't cut we just see that she's somehow gone up and disappeared and the hotel desk calls to let him know that she's gone yes he's very confused and so now we cut to him in his busy office oyama and yoshikawa rush into the conference room and Oyama explains that she disappeared and that she won't answer the phone and there's no way to contact her. And he's kind of like, he looks like disheveled and like kind of in a panic at this point, right? He doesn't know exactly where she lives either. And Yoshikawa asks him what happened in the hotel. And Oyama says he already told him all about it, but they might have uh, misunderstood each other somehow. He wants to talk to her about it and ask Yoshikawa if he can find her address. He says he only has her resume and advises him to forget about it. Oyama can't accept it, though. He says, you're saying I went too crazy about a young girl eventually being left alone like a pathetic old fart, right? And Yoshikawa says, uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly you know, true. And I feel like, you know, when you're when your sketchy friend is telling you to like be reasonable, you know, you probably should take his advice. Yeah, totally. Yeah. This guy just planned a whole audition of, of to, to, to find which, you know. Yeah. He was totally comfortable lying to, you know, dozens of women manipulating them into a fake movie audition. Yeah. His moral compass is fucked and the bar is set very, very low. for Very him. low. So Yoshikawa asks Oyama, like, what's wrong with him? And Oyama says he won't ask for help anymore. He'll just look for her on his own before he slams something down onto the table and storms out. Later in his office, he paces around looking at her headshot. We see the words Shimada Ballet Studio on her file, and we cut to Oyama walking down an alley in search of this place. He finds it boarded up and calls inside to no answer. So he turns to walk away, but he hears something in, inside and he reaches through the boards and just starts pulling them off. Yeah. He starts yanking boards off this boarded up ballet school. Like, yeah, just breaking and entering into this place. Yep. So inside he hears music and walks in to find a man in a wheelchair with ballet slippers hanging off a handle in the corner of the room, playing the piano next to a tiny little fire pit. Very creepy. 
Yeah, it's like, uh, I don't know. We don't have these style fire pits in the U.S. It just like almost looks like a vase full of hot coals. That's right. And, and sticks in it. And we see like, uh, it's like a very wide shot in this big room, this big ballet studio with this, mm-hmm. the floorboards are all like dilapidated, you know, and he's just, it's a... It's a long, it's a very creepy, wide, long shot with him turned away. And he just, it's. Yeah. Just like why, who was just playing the piano in a boarded up, dilapidated ballet studio? Yes, exactly. Something. Probably just a cool guy. Yeah. Probably just a normal person. So the music stops and we see a wide shot and then we see that wide shot of Oyama in an empty ballet studio with the man and the piano in the corner. And he says, excuse me. And he asked the man if he is Mr. Shimada. He says he called that afternoon to ask about Asami Yamasaki. The man tells him to go away, but uh, Oyama asks if he ever had any problems with Asami before and uh, that he wants to know how to contact her. Still facing the piano, the man begins laughing to himself. He turns around to face Oyama and asks if he's seen her. So this man, uh, he's wearing sunglasses and a kimono and chuckling creepily to himself. He asks if he touched her body and if he held her in his arms as he wheels towards Oyama. How was that? Was it good? Did you smell her? Still, he's laughing. Cut to footage of a young girl doing ballet, and then to sticks in the fire pit. We see the wheelchair man crawling towards the girl, who is seated on the ground in her ballet uniform with her legs spread apart. The man is still laughing, and we see him take the red-hot sticks and burn the thighs of the little girl as she screams. Very fucked up scene. It's a very fucked up scene indeed, Joe. It's like, you know, I don't know. I feel like... First, they get you because they set it up and you're like, oh, we don't want to like watch this little girl get molested by this creepy old man. And then it turns out he just burned her with sticks, which is I don't know if it's worse, but it's like unsettling in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to say it's worse, but it's uh, yeah, it's definitely not not good. (laughs) Something you should never do. Yeah. You heard it here on the only horror movie podcast, folks. Don't torture children yeah don't burn little girls thighs or adults for that matter or adults leave them alone don't go torturing anybody uh we're good people joe (laughs) at least by the standard that we don't torture people yeah yeah i think so so uh cut back to the ballet studio and the man says asami before standing up we see that the lower half of his legs are made of warped wooden prosthetics carved into the shape of feet He tells Oyama to go home, cut to Oyama washing his face in a sink and staring into a mirror. We see a flashback of Asami mentioning the stone fish bar on 4th Street. Cut to the entrance of the stone fish. Oyama is walking down a dimly lit stairwell. Lights from outside flicker as he walks down. The stairwell continues. The walls are painted an unsettling two-tone red and white. A man... What's up? A little foreboding place, this... It is very foreboding, yes. Yeah. Uh, one of those places, where you, one of those like times in a horror movie where you're like, you shouldn't be here. If the hallway, if the walls are blood color. Like, uh, yeah, but we can't stop these people from doing what they want to do. No. So a man stops him and says that the bar is closed uh, over a year ago. It was a huge mess. The owner was murdered, and Oyama asks him if he knew an Asami who used to work there. The man says that uh, he doesn't, and that the owner usually worked alone. He asks why the owner was killed, and the man says he's not sure, but uh, people talked about a woman who used to be associated with the music industry who used drugs. Oyama asks if she was murdered, too, and the man says the body was chopped up completely. We saw her blood flowing through a gap in the door. The other mystery was that the police tried to recompose her body together. Three extra fingers and an ear came up when they were trying to recompose this body. Yeah. And an extra tongue as well. Yeah, which, you know, maybe they were extra. Maybe this person had 13 fingers and three ears and two tongues, though. Two tongues, yeah. That's not the craziest thing. No. They shouldn't rule it out. We've seen it. We've seen it many times, folks. 
Uh, my own mother. Blood flowing under the door, people <laughs> chopped up, and he's like, yeah, I still want to find this girl. <laughs> yeah, totally. So we cut to a quivering tongue and ear and fingers on the floor in a pool of blood, and Oyama looks on in horror, like he just sees these flashing images himself, right? Mm-hmm. Back on the stairs, he looks up at the man in shock, and the man says, terrible world, isn't it? And he just leaves. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, it is. Thanks. <laughs> isn't that weird? Isn't that crazy? Anyways, yeah. Bye. Yeah, I live just uh, just upstairs here. <laughs> yeah, I'm not bothered by it. Uh, we cut to Ree feeding the dog and leaving Oyama's house uh, for the day. She opens her umbrella and heads outside, and we see a POV from the, someone in the yard. They enter the house, alarming the dog and heading upstairs. The camera is moving around fast and shaking violently as it looks around the house, stopping when it gets to Oyama's whiskey decanter. The dog heads upstairs, and we hear Shigehiko leaving a message on the answering machine saying that he's staying at a friend's house for the night. Uh, He says that Gang, the dog, was hiding under the house, and to please feed him as we see Oyama returning home to a dark house. Later, Oyama pours a drink in the living room. He sips it and stares at the ceiling, but begins to feel strains. He shakes his head, and his fingers begin to twitch. He goes to stand up, but is dizzy, and he stumbles, and he falls, and as he's about to hit the ground, we cut to a flashback. Yeah, which, uh, by the way, that POV shot, very, like, giallo style, but then it starts moving in, like, fast-forward shaky vision and gets real intense. Yeah. I also really liked the cut uh, right when he's about to, like, right, it's, like, right when he hits the ground. It's, like, the second he hits it cuts. When it's yeah, really, like, really sharp editing in this movie. Yeah. Whoever the editor is, we should probably mention, because they did a phenomenal job. Absolutely, yeah. If you want to look him up while I keep going here. Yeah. We cut to a flashback of his second dinner with Asami, where he asks about her family. This time she looks down and says that when she was little, her parents got a divorce and that she was sent to her uncle's house. It was a terrible place and she only remembers being abused. Her uncle's wife was an abusive woman and she left scars. Oyama says if it's too painful, she doesn't need to talk about it, but she wants him to know all about her. She says that she was forced into cold baths in winter and got pneumonia. She was pushed down a flight of stairs and broke her collarbone. The doctor was worried about her and sent her back to live with her mother. She tells Oyama this happened when she was only seven years old. Fucked up childhood, it sounds like. Pretty brutal childhood there. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard similar stories from from real people. It's real disturbing. Yeah, I've heard some really fucked up childhood stories. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So yeah, this is one of them. Uh, Her mother had remarried. She says that uh, she reduced the scars, but her stepfather hated her. He had disabled legs and stayed home all the time. We see a shot of a young Asami in her ballet uniform lying on the floor in a dilapidated room. She said she did nothing alone in a room every day until her mother came home. We see a close-up of the burn scars as she apologizes and says, it's not a normal story, is it? As the camera pans up her body. Not really, but it's not her fault. No, 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 not your fault. So we see them at dinner on one of the other nights. And she says, if you dislike me, please say so. Oyama says, strange, I I never imagined you'd had such an agonizing past. She says, when I danced, it purified the dark side of me. That's the reason I never tried to kill myself. Still at dinner, Oyama says that he thinks she's wonderful and that he's been looking for someone like her. And Oyama turns to see his deceased wife, young Shigehiko, and his girlfriend sitting at the table next to him. He says, Ryoko, uh, this is an opportune time. Let me introduce you. As he stands up to introduce them to Asami, Asami stands and the two women stare at each other before Ryoko says, no, she isn't good for you. Oyama says, she's a fine woman. And Ryoko says, no, darling, no. As a rumbling sound starts to build. Which, you know, in this case, trust your deceased wife. You don't listen to your friend, at least listen to your ghostly wife in a dream telling you to stay away from this lady. 
Yeah, if I if my wife approached me in a dream and said, no, not her, I would have second thoughts. I think I would too. Yeah, but also maybe not. <laughs> possible. You it's know. possible. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes you ignore your better instincts. Usually, yeah. usually not good though. No, usually you know, not good. Remember the last time I had a very horrible feeling about something, uh, I ended up with an ear that rung for a year. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you got to trust that gut. Yep. So cut to Asami in another room. She stands and says, I want you. I want you right now before rushing Oyama and getting onto her knees trying to unzip his pants as he resists her. She unzips him, looks up at him and smiles creepily. He looks down and says, Asami, before leaning back. Cutting to different women on their knees. That's right. We cut back and see Oyama's secretary down at his knees looking up regretfully. She says, that was a little mistake. You made love to me only once. I expected something from you. Was I stupid? Oyama grimaces and says, I'm sorry, forgive me. And we cut back to see Asami kneeling and looking up at him. So he's, he's racked with some guilt here. She says, I'll do anything to give you pleasure. And he looks on confused. A voice says, I like doing this. And we cut to see that it's now Shigehiko's girlfriend, Misuzu, on her knees. Oyama says, what are you doing? Stop it before falling back onto the floor. Misuzu crawls on top of him and smiles and says, look, you've got a hard on before Oyama pushes her off. We cut to him stumbling over the writhing canvas bag. He looks back at it and approaches it and pushes it a bit with his foot, but it doesn't move. He leans in for a closer inspection and suddenly the bag jumps up and a man with the long scraggly hair. He's missing more multiple fingers and he's had his tongue removed that's right and we see that he's in dirty underwear and his feet have been amputated as he crawls struggling to make a sound oyama recoils in horror covering his face we hear the sound of vomiting and see that asami is puking into a dog bowl and she gives this bowl of puke to the man uh, who only has a ring finger and his thumb intact and uh, his face is filthy and he leans over the bowl he also like beckons her with this one single finger so fucked up and creepy. Yeah, man. I've seen this <laughs> this fucking just dirty man who's been locked in a canvas bag with his fingers and feet and tongue cut off is uh Yeah. Not normal. Mike is like, oh, this is not a horror movie. Right. Isn't it though? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> this is pretty horrifying. It's a pretty horrifying imagery and uh, all, yeah. Also, the idea that this like this man that is seems to be somewhat of an inferior, right, is also like beckoning her in a way that he is a little controlling, right? And she's yeah. puking. She has to puke into a fucking bowl, and then hand it to him to to drink. And yeah, eat. it looks like fucking thick, milky stuff. Yeah, it's horrifying. Uh, he just starts lapping it up. Always lapping it up. He loves it. Suddenly, Asami is back to being a little girl as she leans over and pets the man's shoulders while Oyama looks on in horror. She looks back at him, and in her adult voice, she says, You only love me, only me, before Oyama collapses to the floor. Behind him, the man in the wheelchair gets up and walks into the room. We see a shot of the hot pokers as he approaches the young Asami with his grotesque wooden feet. He collapses, brandishing the hot sticks, and says, Asami, as he crawls towards her. We see shots of young Asami dancing as he says, Dance for me. Dance for me, bitch. Dance for me. Otherwise, I'll torture you. As he touches the hot pokers to his sleeve, they begin to sizzle. He's still crawling, and he's saying, dance for me. But now he's approaching adult Asami in the dance studio. Gotta say, at this point, if I was Ayama, I would be a little freaked out. I would be out of there. You know? Yeah. I'd be gone, man. I would be on a flight to... Uh... I'd be like, I'm not watching... The rest of how this is going to play out. Absolutely not. No, he's really sticking around to watch the scene. Yeah. Well, you know, he really likes this girl. 
Yeah, he does, doesn't he? And, you know, and earlier he said, if there's any trouble, you know, he can handle it. Yeah, he did say that. <laughs> you He's know? really sticking to his guns on this one. The violin music in the background intensifies as she sits down, spreads her legs, and pulls up her skirt. He continues to crawl towards her and stops as he reaches her and says, Asami, good girl, before touching the hot sticks to her thigh as she screams. Oyama enters and says, Asami! Uh, The man is back at the piano now playing as Asami walks up behind him, spreading a wire saw. She slowly places it in front of his neck as he plays and wraps it several times around his neck and says, This wire can cut meat and bone very easily before she pulls on the handles. We see the wire tighten around his neck, hear squelching and see blood as he whispers, You are wonderful. She smiles. She says, I've never felt unhappy because I've been unhappy all the time. She pulls harder and the wires dig into his neck. We see a montage of Oyama and Asami lying on the floor, people having sex on a stairwell and her pulling on the wire. She says, males need female support as we see the man from the bag having sex with the woman on the stairs. Cut to Oyama and Yoshikawa at the bar. In a disorienting close-up, Yoshikawa says, let's have an audition as the bartender shakes ice for a drink. We see shots of Ryoko and uh, Oyama in the audition room saying, My son says I look old. Why don't I remarry? Juxtaposed with clips of Asami uh, sawing her stepdad's head off and a bloody tongue dripping into a glass of water before the head comes off and rolls across the floor. (laughs) Not a horror film. Yeah, right? And that fucking wire saw. I've never seen that before but what a fucking terrifying thing I, I hate it it just looks like a wire but then she's able to saw a man's head off with it yeah and uh, uh mentioned the editor is yasushi shimamura phenomenal job editing this movie yeah well done man uh look him up so we then see oyama stumbling in his living room and falling over he struggles on the floor but he's incapacitated and we see asami getting ready in the next room in a black rubber apron and shoulder length black rubber gloves this one really influenced Hostel because, uh, you know, sure, the torturers yeah. in Hostel all wear Asami's uniform. Woof. Okay. So she enters and we can see Gang, the dog, lying dead on the floor, his eyes rolled up and his tongue hanging out. We see that his head is twisted around backwards before she shuts the door. <sighs> He'd seen a dog die. Yeah. Yeah, and this one is, it's really fucked up. It's pretty graphic. He's such a cute little, like, beagle or something, and his fucking head's twisted around. It's all fucked up. Yeah. Oh, boy. So, Oyama's on the floor whispering Asami before she slides the recliner out of the way and opens a large leather bag. Oyama struggles to talk as she draws an unknown liquid into a large syringe. She turns to look at him and says, you can't move anymore because I've paralyzed your body, but your nerves are still awake. You can enjoy the pain and suffer incredibly. She kneels down. She pulls out his tongue and stabs it with the syringe. Oyama's legs kick impotently as she injects him. She puts the syringe down and rolls him over before laying out a canvas blanket and rolling uh, him on top of that. By the way, she's very good at... uh at uh, manhandling this guy, right? She's really rolling him all over the place. Well, yeah, I think, you know, after the other guy from the bag are implying that this is not her first rodeo with... uh, (laughs) No, she's very good. She really seems like she knows what she's doing. Yeah, you know, she knows how to deal with her problems with men, you know? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) It's about to get pretty fucked up here, folks. So she then takes scissors out and begins to cut off his clothing. Uh, she says, you guys collect so many girls from auditions. Make them fail, and then you contact them later just wanting to have sex. 
All of you are the same. She opens a box full of thick acupuncture needles and straddles him and begins sticking the needles into his torso. He sits up violently and falls back as she smiles and digs the first needle in, saying deeper, deeper in this impossibly high sing-songy voice. And it sounds kind of like, dee, 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 dee. Right? Yeah. Cool. yeah. Oh, yeah. That was good. Yeah. I Thanks. tried to do it. I couldn't get my voice to go high enough <laughs> yeah. to really. It's creepy. I got to mention, by the way, Nikki and I first watched this a few months back. It was on the last drive in. Yeah. Uh, and she was just enjoying the hell out of this scene. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Just laughing and smiling. This was just, she thought this was just a whole lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a fun scene. It's horrifying, but uh, I mean, it's a fucking ride, dude. Yeah, well, she's also like she's also smiling and she's so calm and talking in this sweet voice the whole time. Mm -hmm. Those needles, they are like they kind of look like acupuncture needles, but they're much bigger and much thicker. Yes. Although I have to say, after having acupuncture multiple times, I watched this and I was like, "Ah, I think I could take it. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Maybe you could. Uh, So she continues to stick needles in saying deeper or she says she asks him if uh, is it painful? Words create lies. Pain can be trusted, she says, as his uh, as his head flops around helplessly, right? Philosophizing a little bit here. Oh, yeah. As he thrashes, she says, you can feel pain. You can study about the human body as well. This is the most painful point, am I right? Then here, too, as she continues to insert needles deeper and deeper. Oyama's torso is full of needles as she stares down at him and then crawls up his chest, twisting and digging the needles in his chest down deeper. She leans over and examines his face before taking a needle out and inserting it uh, near his eye, smiling and singing. We see Oyama's POV as he groans in pain and Asami inserts more needles under his eyes. She says, here we go. Underneath the eyes is very painful. And she flicks the needles when she puts them in. She says, you only realize what kind of man you are when you feel pain. You understand? Your son has to suffer pain. Then you'll understand more. Which that, you know, this is where I think she went too far. Well, with the sun? Yeah. Yeah. So what, did he, what did he do? Yeah, he didn't do anything. He just likes dinosaurs. He just likes dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? I don't know. Maybe he was mean to that girl, Masuzu. Yeah, maybe. We didn't see that, though. Yeah, that's true. I got to say, though, I, I, I could not help but think about my acupuncture treatments the whole time because, like, you know, the needles are much smaller and they use these tubes that, like, press up against you and kind of, like, pop them in real quick. Mm-hmm. But then... He, do they do have to push them in deeper afterwards. And sometimes yeah. you can like just feel it like going through a muscle wow. or something. And then, yeah, and I don't like, like that. that. It doesn't feel, it does, uh, most of the time it doesn't hurt, but every once in a while you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a good one. Oh, like, fuck that. Oh, and God. Then they attach little electrodes to them. And <laughs> That's bizarre. Uh, maybe I'll try it anyways. Yeah, it fixed my tinnitus. That's sick. And now it's helping with my <laughs> knots in my shoulder I get from playing guitar and stuff. All right. Maybe I'll give it, I'll give it a shot. So Oyama tells her to stay away from his son, right? And she says, you love your son too? You're a liar. You said you'd only love me, right? Before she kneels down again in a pleasant, upbeat voice. She says, I've got only you, but you have so many others. I don't want to be one of them. Even if I give you all of me, you won't be mine completely. Everybody is the same. She's a little off here. She She's making some assumptions. Right. He was just trying to find a wife. He wasn't trying to he wasn't trying to bang all these girls in the audition. That's very true. And also, she's really I mean, come on. You got to be able to love your son and uh, your spouse as well. Yeah, a little bit unreasonable here, Asami. We're talking know. about different kinds of love, lady. 
Yeah, I think she needs to check herself in this situation, you know. But she really doesn't because at this point she takes this clamp and places it around Oyama's uh, ankles, right? He can only groan in pain, right, because he's paralyzed. And she says, you can't go anywhere without feet before pulling out a wire saw, right? This wire can cut through meat and bone very easily, she says, as she extends the handles. Oyama asks her to stop as she wraps the wire around his ankles. She smiles at him and begins to saw at his foot as she screams. She begins to saw faster and faster with a huge grin on her face as shots of her as a child ballerina and a wheelchair-bound stepdad are intercut with the wire cutting through Oyama's shin bone. Oh, yeah. So we've established at this point that the guy in the wheelchair was her stepdad. Was her stepdad, yeah. Yeah. Uh, We can hear the wire sawing through Oyama's ankle as we cut back and forth between her sawing his leg and her stepdad fondling himself. I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) They held back a little bit here. You know, why not go all the way? (laughs) Right, right, exactly. Uh, Blood begins to splatter and Asami smiles gleefully before Oyama's foot comes completely off. He groans in agony as Asami pulls the gnarled wire away. We see a view from the outside of the house as she just tosses the foot aside and it smacks against the glass window. Yeah, we've got there's a big old blood smear. Yeah, she tosses it aside the way like uh, like a child would toss aside a toy that he didn't want. Yeah, yeah, really. Just like, like oh, fucking, you know. And she's very, very excited. Yeah. Somebody picked a rotten potato. Right, <laughs> right, yeah, like yeah. gardening. So she smiles and says, right foot, please, before going to work on Oyama's other ankle. His face contorts in pain as she gets to work. Suddenly, he's, she's interrupted when Shigehiko returns home unexpectedly. He calls for his dad, and she crawls over to her bag and grabs a can of mace. Um, from the other room, Shigehiko says that his friend got sick all of a sudden, so they had to call an ambulance, and it was quite a scene. Shigehiko enters to find his dad laid out, missing a foot and unable to move. In shock, he asks what has happened, and Asami opens the door behind him and hits him in the back of the head. Cuts to Oyama waking up suddenly. He's out of breath in the hotel bed next to Asami, who is sleeping peacefully. He looks at his foot, still intact, and he begins to sigh in relief. We see him in the bathroom, splashing water in his face. He looks in the mirror and wonders aloud what's going on before turning to see Asami in the doorway. She asks what's going on and if he's okay, and he nods and turns off the faucet. Back in bed, she says, well, I will, I will. I'll answer your proposal. And Oyama says, what? And she says, your proposal, I accept. And he says, proposal? Before she turns to rest her head on his chest, she says, it's like a dream. I'm so happy. I applied for the audition. I was the luckiest one because I didn't become the heroine of the movie, but I became the heroine in real life. And she uh, and she lays her head down. Right. Oyama stares at the ceiling and closes his eyes and we hear deeper, deeper. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it's like it sets it up to where you almost think like, oh, it was just a dream. It was, he was just dreaming that, mm-hmm. that this uh, whole needle and wire saw situation was happening. And- right. Maybe he'll learn his lesson. Right. Yes, exactly. But Oyama stares at the ceiling and closes his eyes as we hear, as we cut back to the Shigehiko asking, what's wrong, Dad? Before Asami sneaks out of the door behind him and attempts to mace him, Shigehiko dodges and uh, backs up saying, who the hell are you? As she aims the can of mace at him and sprays. And he says, what the hell do you want? And she moves towards him. 
He turns and runs up the stairs and she chases him at the top. He trips and falls back and she begins to spray him in the face as she's laughing and he yells and he shields his eyes. She's standing over him and he kicks her and sending her flying backwards over the stairwell. We hear a thud and Shigehiko looks down to see Asami lying motionless on the bottom of the stairs. Still, she really goes flying. She too. flies. Like like he a, kicks like oh yeah, it was a massive. Like she got kicked by Bruce Lee. Like yeah, it was incredible. I mean, this kid, dinosaurs, love and karate apparently. Yeah. So, still clad in her black rubber apron and long black gloves, the can of mace is at her side. Her neck is bruised and distended, and when she breathes, we can see it pulsate, and we hear a crackling, squishing sound. So, she's really fucked up her neck here. Real gross. Uh, Oyama is crawling on his back, needles still sticking out of his face, and he sees Asami lying at the bottom of the stairs before Shigehiko comes in and asks if he's all right. (laughs) I don't know about that. Uh, I think it speaks for itself. I don't know if he can see that the foot's missing because, like, he kind of like maybe sort of covered it with a blanket. Yeah, but so he whispers to call the police, and Shigehiko picks up the phone and asks for an ambulance, saying his father is seriously injured, and there's a woman too, but he doesn't know the details. He says his left leg has been chopped off and he's bleeding badly. Oyama looks at Asami on the floor, her arm outstretched and reaching towards him, as Shigehiko gives the operator their address. Asami begins to speak and says, I thought you were very busy. I don't know your job so well. I might sound heavy, but I've been waiting a long time for your call. I never expected we would meet again. As Oyama looks back at her, in a calm voice, she says, Sorry to have been childish. It's a hassle living alone. I don't have anybody to talk with. You were the first person to support me, warmly wrapping me, trying to understand me. It's hard to forget about. A voiceover of Oyama says, It's hard to forget about, but someday you'll feel that life is wonderful. That's life, isn't it? As we see him lying next to his severed foot. Cut to young Asami in her ballet uniform sitting alone and trying on a slipper before we fade to black and credits roll and an energetic Japanese pop song plays. And that's the end of the film there, folks. And that is the sweet story of Audition. Yes, indeed it is. Pretty happy ending there, you know. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. She dies with her broken neck, and he has now missing a foot, and he'll be forever uh, traumatized. And maybe he, I guess, he learned his lesson not to. You uh, know, his friend did say this thing is going to affect your whole life. Got to listen to that friend. Yeah, and then that fucking music comes on, and it's just like this fucking happy pop song. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude, this movie ruled. It uh, it doesn't hold much back. No. Yeah, and it spawned what would some would say is a whole subgenre of horror. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Like the whole uh, torture porny kind of thing. You see, I mean, yeah, I don't like that. A, that term kind of sucks, but I I agree because like I I think I stated in an early episode. I think it misses the point of what these movies are. Like, right. You know, porn is a thing you watch for enjoyment. I think is the idea. Sure. And uh, these scenes are not enjoyable in that kind of way. Like, no, no, it's know. not pleasurable. It's it's like, you know, in the same way, like a slasher or a ghost movie is scary. This is also scary and horrifying and disturbing. Right. And disgusting sometimes. And sometimes these movies make, make people puke and pass out. Right, right. Yeah, totally. You know, which is not the effect that porn is intended to have. Yeah, I think like torture horror would be better, but that's just a hard term to say. Yeah, but I think it, it is... Uh, it's more accurate though. And I think it really, you know, the person I think who coined torture porn doesn't like these movies. Yeah. And I also think that, uh, I, I just don't like any time that people add porn to another thing because 
it just conjures up the image of porn, which does never never applies to anything except for porn. Yeah, it's kind of its own thing. Right. So when people are saying food porn was a big one, you know, it's like, oh, it's food porn. It's like, let's not put yeah, porn. Yeah, can we not? Like, yeah. You know? It's like, a burger that I want to maybe eat. You know? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to have sex with it. Yeah, I don't want to be thinking of slapping and you yeah. know, fluids and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I hate these people. Yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> and it's like it suggests that the people watching it are just going like, "Oh yeah, saw yeah. his foot off." Yeah. Right. I love yeah, this. Yeah, everyone's jerking like, it to these. Yeah, movies. right. Like, I mean, hey, there's probably some folks out there, but it's not the common. Yeah, maybe uh, you know, Asami's stepdad. Right. Sure. You know, maybe that. You know, he he seems like <laughs> he, the kind of guy who might enjoy torture porn. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, yeah. But the average horror movie goer. That's not what we're in this for. Right. Yeah. They can just call it torture. I don't know. Anyways, still a great movie. Really enjoyed it. Let's get back to these notes here that Remy provided. Yeah, we've got. uh, Yeah. Well, the first note that I want to get into is its influence, the birth of torture porn. There you go. Hell yeah. Yeah. So film critic David Edelstein coined the term to describe the likes of movies such as Saw, The Devil's Rejects, Hostel, and Wolf Creek. However, there's a pushback when trying to categorize audition as torture porn. Uh, from Richard Corliss in Time's Top 25 uh, Horror Movies article 2006, uh, he said, unlike Saw and its imitators in the genre of torture porn, audition doesn't go for gorific money shots. Mike's films live inside their characters, taking the temperature of their longings, the ridiculous ambitions they chase so obsessively, and their need to experience the extreme to prove they're alive. Hmm. I'm not totally sure about that exactly. Right. Yeah. Because um, I think like, you know, I've seen those movies he mentioned and they do have a lot of torture and a lot of horrible stuff in them. But, uh, you know, I think that they also are about their characters and what's going on, too. Right. Interesting. Uh, so uh, Eli Roth stated that audition inspired him to make hostile uh, and Mike has a cameo in the movie. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we'll do Hostel at some point. Yeah, I, I, I was a movie I avoided as a younger man. It's wise, you know. Yeah, it's uh, I didn't. <laughs> I watched right. uh, you know, Hostel Part One and Two, and the first three saws at least. And I think I've seen Wolf Creek at some point. Definitely watched The Devil's Rejects. Who did Wolf Creek? Greg McLean, who did Rogue. Oh, nice. And who uh, got his head bit off by a pumpkin in Tales of Halloween. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, nice. She's got some notes here on the feminist versus misogynistic interpretation. Okay. Uh, before we get into that, what do you have a take on this? Do you see this as a feminist movie, a misogynist movie, or... Oh, I see this more as a feminist movie. Yeah. Because it's all about these, these, these older men who are uh, kind of, you know, pretty clearly misogynistic and then uh this this woman gets back at them the, yeah. the woman that They're being they, deceptive and manipulative and yeah and this woman really gets back at them in a very very brutal fucking way and he maybe gets, takes it too far i think a little bit too far yeah yeah it's hard to say it's like you know i don't know that mike necessarily was trying to go either way with it mm-hmm. you know sometimes you're just trying to tell a story right but i didn't get the idea that like he hates women you know, from no. this, I think like it, you know, definitely is more critical of dudes being creepy and manipulative and dishonest. Right. Yes. Uh, if anything. Uh, but Remy has some notes on that here. She says that Mike on many occasions clarified that the final scene is not a dream sequence and that the film was not intended to have a feminist revenge message, mm-hmm. um, which I, you know, uh, 
even like uh, Joe Bob on the last drive-in said he thought the, like the last sequence all took place in Aoyama's mind, and I think he got that wrong. Because mm. um, I think you know from what I watched, it seemed like no, this actually happened. Like he got shoved full of needles and got his foot chopped off. Yeah, I mean, I guess it could be interpreted either way, but the director says no, that's not what it was. Like then, yeah, you know for sure. I think that maybe uh, you know trust the director on this one. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, saying that the film was not intended to have a feminist revenge message, fair, but it kind of still does. I know. know. I, I, uh, that one is a little harder to, to dispute, I think. Yeah, I think it clearly is, uh, you know, whether it was intended or not, you know, it just is how it reads. Yeah. You know, there are a couple movies in the 70s that were, uh, they're classified as rape and revenge horror movies. And that would be, I spit on your grave and Wes Craven's last house on the left. Okay. Uh, and they were at the time decried as like horrible sexist misogynist movies. And then other people reappraise them as feminist movies. And it's kind of like, yeah, maybe it's a little feminist, but, um, maybe that's not exactly what it's about necessarily. Sure. I don't know who doesn't see uh, who doesn't enjoy seeing a creepy dude get what's coming to him for. Uh, I mean, it's very enjoyable. It's enjoyable. But I also like I don't know. Uh, this guy did something wrong, but he did. But I feel like it it, it, it came from a good place. He was just uh, led on. He was inspired by a friend who was pretty clearly problematic. Yeah. You know, but he was like, I just want to find a wife, man. You yeah, know? that's the thing. It's like, you know, yeah, he didn't have necessarily evil intentions. And the response is a bit disproportionate. And also she jumped to conclusions, assuming that he's banging all these girls from the auditions, which he was not. Yeah. He was just lying to them and manipulating them. Well, I think it's interesting because I and so maybe that makes me I mean, I guess there's like a because it makes me think about broad generalizations. Mm-hmm. Right. So it makes me think about like this woman is portrayed as maybe like a feminist it's like a getting revenge, but also at the same time making these broad generalizations, you know. So yeah. I guess in that way, you could look at this movie and veer on, more on the side of like, oh, it's more on the misogyny side or whatever the fuck, because it's like displaying this this feminist as as making inaccurate judgments, you know. Mm-hmm. So maybe in that way. Right. Yeah, you know, it's like uh, there's a lot to consider. It makes me wonder, like, does everything have to have that binary? Yeah, I don't know. I, I know. You know I, right. Can it be like it has elements of both mm-hmm. and it's kind of, you know, I don't know, leaves a lot of room for interpretation. And yeah. you can kind of like, I feel like you can extrapolate and create meaning. And uh, actually, Remy had a note about that. She said uh, in the wrong uh, wrong turn episode, she thought you made a good point about people really reaching for themes when they're not there. Yes. Yeah, I still believe that. But I mean, there's something I feel like even if it wasn't intended in this movie, it does feel like sometimes we just end up extrapolating meaning because of that, because of where we are as a society. And I think so, too. You know, we might have read this movie differently in 1999 than we are in 2022. Sure. Uh, it's been what? 23 years since this movie was made right yes uh and you know uh a lot of creepy dudes are getting their comeuppance now mm-hmm. me too movement really you know even if he had not had his foot sawed off you know maybe uh Ayama right. would have been out and his friend would have been out out as creeps who knows yeah yeah right for sure you know she, she wanted to find essays where people were really trying to grasp uh despite Mike saying the opposite 
And uh, she said, personally, I think it's great if people want to be inspired and view it in that light, but it's kind of silly to be like, this is what we meant when he has been very vocal about, you know, what his intentions were. Right, right. Um, she did link to an article that goes way deeper into this, but I don't know if I'll have time to go through the whole thing because I'd have time to read it. We can throw the link in the description. Yeah, yeah. definitely. We'll put it in there. Um, so I have a note here from the last drive-in. It's uh, the screenwriter who wrote this movie often said that he put things in screenplays that he doesn't expect the director to film, at least not in explicit ways. And he was amazed when he saw three amputated fingers and ear and a tongue tormenting. I am. Oh, no. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I thought that was a fun detail. Uh, let me pull up uh, the other notes. Uh, so here's some stuff that came directly from Remy. So there's a review quoted here. Audition is a, diabolically adroit piece of filmmaking that goes even further than the film uh the films of italy's excruciatingly macabre dario argento Hmm. uh which is uh you know yeah she says imagine making your first horror film and getting compared to the director of suspiria and tenebrae right pretty impressive yeah there was uh, also another line from, disclaimer from this review that says, uh, it's unrated, the Times guidelines, suitable only for those accustomed to the most extreme horror pictures. Um, I think that's accurate. Yeah, there's a, a quote from Mike here. Uh, he's talking about his new Disney Plus show, Connect. <laughs> uh, it kind of has the same tone as like the, the, the ending of this movie with the song. Yeah, you know, right. <laughs> suddenly now he's doing Disney Plus. You know, he said, uh, a bloody scene like that needs to be carefully thought out. There has to be emotion and meeting, not just blood. Yeah. That's why some people say like, oh, this is not, you know, it's not torture porn because there was thought behind it. Which Absolutely. Is like, you know, there's thought behind all of it. In the Saw movies, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's like, you know, the the killer has like a whole like philosophy that he's trying to uh, put into practice by chaining people in a basement and giving them hacksaws to saw their feet off. That's right. That's very uh, true. It's Mike, uh, he's directed over a hundred movies at one point was doing six a year. Uh, and at a press event in Busan, he said the life of a movie director is a strange one. What one has done in the past determines the future. I'm grateful to fans who enjoy my genre films, but I try to focus on things that I like in the present. I like new ventures. There could be disappointments for fans. I like to be diverse and I'll keep on being diverse in the future. Doesn't want to let himself be boxed in. Yeah. Although, like I said, the you know, his movie from 2018 is one of the bloodiest movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> okay. Not torture, though. Just yeah. People, you know, samurized and uh, all hacking each other apart. That's hilarious. Uh, it sounds. Yeah, I, I like him. He sounds like a cool guy, you know. And it sounds like you know, it's like he's not. He doesn't want to be boxed in, but he also doesn't want to like not make a fucking crazy violent movie if he's. Yeah, you know, he feels he, like it. Yeah, he wants to. You know, one one out of six a year is the right. most craziest thing you've ever seen. It's so not what? his fault that some of the bloodiest and craziest movies that he makes get the most attention, you know? No, you know, now he's working for Disney+. Plus. <laughs> he sure is. Uh, I think that's all we have. I will link to that article that she sent nice. uh, that goes deeper into analyzing whether or not it's a feminist revenge tale. Sure. Uh, I think that's worth exploring, but I didn't have a time time to read through the whole thing, and it's very long. That's okay. Um, this was a big episode with a lot of research and a lot of uh, 
uh, pre-production. So yeah, yeah, like you know, it takes uh, hours and hours to uh, write out these plot synopses. We're gonna try to find a balance for that in the future. Yeah, we're gonna try to rework this podcast a little bit because we don't want to do things. You know, we don't want this to be an unsustainable uh, workload. Yeah, and it, right now it's quite a bit. Yeah, but uh, I want to say thank you again to Remy for these notes. They're awesome. They saved me some time because I usually do all this research. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't wait to see what she does with the next ones. Me neither, man. Very excited about that. Got our superlatives. Yes, of course. Yeah, I was, I was, I was thinking our, uh, our superlatives. So for best kill, uh, I got to go with the uh, stepdad's decapitation. The stepdad's decapitation was uh, pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. Aoyama's torture doesn't qualify because he was still alive. At he the was end. still alive. Yeah. But are there any other real deaths in this movie? Not that we see. No. Well, no, because like there's other mutilations. Right. She, I mean, uh, the, yeah. the director of the record company, you know, gets it. And, and then we hear about the woman being chopped up. We do. Yeah. But we don't see it. Yeah, in that case, I'm going to have to also go with the stepdad since it's really the only real kill in the movie. Yeah, uh, but it's crazy it, to think about. It is crazy to think about, uh, but it's also a good one. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can also say Asami's killed in the end. That's true. Yeah, she does die. Yeah. But hers is, uh, I mean, it's good, but it's not. She just falls. She's not, she doesn't get her head sawn off. No. With a wire. Yeah. So, yeah, we're tied on that one. Yeah. What's your fear meter score for this one? Fear meter? Yeah. I mean, there's some moments in here where it really pushes it. Uh, I would say the fear and horror really goes up to like a seven and eight with that that torture scene. Yeah, I gave it an eight out of ten. Yeah. Not a lot of jump scares. Not a lot of like, you're going to be like, uh, you know, if you're the type of person who has nightmares, or is going to be afraid to walk through your darkened house. Yeah. But you're going to be horrified and disturbed. It's a very fucked up scene, man. It's like a very because there's a lot of long shots, there's a lot of close ups, there's a lot of like creepy voices and you know dialogue. Yeah, I gotta say the best character and best performance. Everybody was good in this in terms of acting, but uh, uh, I, I Shina as Asami was incredible, especially in that last scene where she's just so. Yeah. smiling and happy as she's shoving needles into yeah i mean we're gonna be tied on a lot of the things in this movie because there aren't a lot of like crazy characters uh it's everybody's pretty pretty straightforward you know like they're mm-hmm. good there's like they're well-rounded and three-dimensional but yeah sami's the best character in this movie yeah gore score on this one i gotta give it a, a nine out of ten yeah it's- i think it's yeah i was gonna say uh I mean, just in terms of like the torture aspect of it. There are movies with more gore in terms of quantity. Yeah. But this has some of the most graphic, like the foot is like. I think if you're a new uh, horror film person or just not like an avid horror watcher, I would give this a a nine, maybe pushing a 10 because Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, you can't, it's hard to handle this stuff. It really is, and it's very realistic. Mm-hmm. And the fucking tongue dropping into the water and just yeah. blood. And the yeah. Fucking, ugh, yeah, yeah, the fingers, and then the and then the mutated like the people who are still alive. The guy with his feet amputated, and his fingers and tongue <sighs> missing. Like, yeah. Uh, also, the puking into the bowl to feed to the fucking bag slave. Yeah, that's not gore, but that's definitely a, a ten on the gross out meter yeah. for sure. Yeah. God damn, this movie yeah. was insane. Reading some of this, the, the plot synopsis back, I was like, 
Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like they really, based on a true story too. based on, yeah, yeah, yeah. My own experiences. This guy wrote this book, somehow managed to write this book uh-huh. with only one finger and a thumb. <laughs> That's right. Uh, zero feet. The best line. I got to go with the T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-T-
Yeah. Wow. Not not many. Like I can't think of many horror movies that surpass this one. I think like single digit numbers of ones that go any harder than this. Damn. Yeah. I mean, the only other what there's a movie I was watching. I mean, Titan freaked me out. Did you see Titan? I haven't watched that one yet. Uh, and she also did a movie called Raw. I might have seen that one. That one is all about a girl who like ends up getting. Is that a French movie? Is it French? No, I think it's like sweet. No, maybe it is French. Fuck. Um. Anyways, this girl uh, who starts like eating people. Yeah, she like gets a, t- a thirst for like blood and then meats uh, and then uh and then her like sister starts like crashing cars purposefully like like jumping in front of cars so that they crash and then they eat the people it's crazy oh uh, yeah yeah like maybe only like martyrs and cannibal holocaust go harder than this one <laughs> yeah for sure um but yeah i mean you know if you can handle stuff like that or if you want to challenge yourself and and try to get yourself to the next level of uh horror films yeah uh, this is definitely one of them. This is like, uh, you know, this one's like a rite of passage for horror fans. Yeah. 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 Check it out if you dare, folks. And we are only going more extreme with our next episode. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. If you thought this one was crazy, just wait till you get to Thanksgiving from Thanks. 2008. Yes. Which I have already watched. And uh, boy, it's going to be a it's going to be our, one of our most unique episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. It's yeah. critically acclaimed mm-hmm. and changed, not only changed movies, but the world. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So look forward to that. Very exciting, folks. Uh, so, yeah, I was going to say, you know, you, we rented this. You can rent this movie on, um, you know, uh, Voodoo, which is where I got it. I'm sure you can rent it on like YouTube or Amazon. I couldn't find it on Amazon, actually. Oh, yeah. But uh, Voodoo has it, so go I check had it a out. DVD copy that I bought like ten years ago, and they just sat on the shelf because I like I had seen it, right? And I was like, oh, I'll buy it and watch Audition. And I just looked at the case for ten years. Sure. <laughs> well, uh, folks, uh, thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next week. And uh, that's it. Yeah, thank you for checking out the only horror movie podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Later. <laughs>